If you have a Bible this morning, I'd like for you to open to the book of Lamentations. Lamentations chapter 3. We sing a song, and our praise comes from the book of Lamentations. A very beautiful melody. We find that in verses 39 and 40 that we're going to use as a text. Now, let me say this about the book of Lamentations. Uh, it's right after the book of Jeremiah, of course. And in the Septuagint version, that's the Hebrew Old Testament written in Greek, this book begins with an introduction about how that as Judah was being made captive and carried away and Jerusalem was being made desolate and everything, all the blessings and the abundance of God that used to flow there and all the activity there now, the Chaldeans were taken all these people away. They were being carried away captive to be made slaves. And the introduction in the book begins with Jeremiah sitting and weeping and had this lamentation over, and he was lamenting this lamentation about what happened to God's people. And as we read this, God leaves books or puts books like this or has books like this in the Bible for us to read, not only to gain historical understanding about what happened to God's people, but more importantly, why these things happened. Because what happened to them still happens today to people. It seems like when we read the Old Testament, if we see the mistakes that people made and how God dealt with those mistakes, and that he's no respecter of persons, and if, if they did this and you do that, then what happened to them will happen to you that we would learn from that, that we would make sure we avoid getting into trouble with the Lord or getting into situations that we're going to pay the price for, for God's wrath. Throughout the Bible, time after time, especially in the history of Israel, God had to judge his people, not because he just thought it was a good day to judge them, but he judged his people for their sins for their transgressions and for their iniquity against him, for their indifference and their neglect of him and his word. And all of this is recorded. As we read it again, hopefully we can learn and avoid those mistakes. But in Lamentations, this text says, verse 39, Why does a living man complain? Wherefore does a living man complain, a man for the punishment of his sins? Let us search and try our ways and turn again to the Lord. Let us lift up our hearts with our hands unto God in the heavens. Remember that as we sang that beautiful song, beautiful melody. So he begins by asking the question, why would a man that has been warned of God time after time after time. God has sent warnings to people, has made sure that with a clear mind and understanding they were aware of what they were doing that was wrong. God said, this is the way, walking in it, and the people would say, well, we've got an updated version of how we ought to do this, and we think our way is good enough, and so man just refused to live on God's terms. He remained religious. He claimed God to be his God, and he certainly was active in temple worship. But in his life and in his heart, he had no desire to live like that. He wanted the benefits of having God on his side and, and favor and all of that. But as far as his life, the way he wanted to live, the things he wanted to enjoy... He just had another way of doing things in his life. And after a while, in some cases for several years, God is long-suffering. He puts up with a whole lot. As Ezra said in Ezra 9, he said, You have not punished us nearly as much as we deserved. God is way beyond just tolerant. He is long-suffering to us. But there comes a time that if you don't want to turn back to God, if you don't want to turn again unto the Lord, then you're going to be punished. In other words, the consequences of your decisions eventually come to play. 
And he said, why then would a man who is alive, a living man, why would he complain when a just and fair God, having put up with us so much and so long and warned us so many times, finally says, well, okay, you want to live it your way? This is the consequence of it. Why would he complain? And it's sort of a picture there. Each one of the chapters in this book, the first, the second, the fourth, and the fifth have 22 verses. And this particular third chapter, which is the middle of the book, has 66 verses, which is like three times the other ones. And this verse that I'm reading is right in the middle of it. The question is, in light of how you choose to live, if things don't go well for you and things are falling apart in your life, why are you complaining? Now, he said that to people about their sins. He said, what we need to do is, is we need to turn back to God. We need to turn back to God. Isn't sin generally a neglect of God's way? Think of it. The world has no definition for this. I do not believe this intelligent, overachieving world can define sin. If you ask the headiest people in the headiest places, a scientist somewhere, how do you define sin? How would an evolutionist define sin? What is sin? They don't have a definition for it because it's transgression against God, whom either they don't believe in or they're indifferent to. So it's a meaningless moot point to ask somebody what sin is or what is the problem with sin. But with us as Christians, it's a big deal because it's the one single thing, one three-letter word has such power that it can separate you from God. You may not feel separated. It may not seem like you're separated. You still got your health and you're making money and you whatever. But you're separated from God. He's not on your side anymore. That grace is cut off. If you've never experienced much grace, you don't miss anything. So a sort of life is usual in this world that's indifferent to God. But he said, let us turn again to the Lord. That's our problem. Because you see, we have neglected God and his way, and our sins have found us out. Because God warned us. He said, your sins will find you out. I'm not going to keep my head turned. I'm not going to overlook your sins all your life just because you're essentially a good person. You're nice and you're kind. You go to church, you help people. You know, you're not a rude, nasty person. And in, in that sense, you're good. God says there comes a day even your goodness will be rejected. We can't handle that. You might be able to, but the Christian world can't handle that because all of them are going to heaven because they're too good to go to hell. They do too many good things in the estimation of their life, what I'm doing and how I'm doing it. I think I'm pretty good. And I don't think God would send somebody as sincere as I am about what I'm doing to a place that is for bad people because I don't believe I'm a bad person. And sin dominates people like that. Because it just keeps you doing it your way instead of God's way. And you justify your way because it's, well, it's not a bad way. You keep doing it that way. And consequently, you come to terms with the Lord. Let me read you something in the book of Hebrews. We know this verse a lot. In Hebrews chapter 2, it says in verse 1, Therefore we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things that we have heard, lest what? At any time they slip. How do they slip? Well, we mentioned some of this last week. They slip because we have something else to think about that seems better. And we set aside the Word of God, and we put our hope in something else. And so the warning in Hebrews 2, 1 is that we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time these things slip. He said in verse 2, he said, For if the word spoken by angels was steadfast, every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense of reward, even angels. He said, Well, then how shall we escape? God is no respecter of persons. What he says to one, he says to all. Isn't that true? 
And what he says to us is life. This is life. The only thing that God chooses to perform and to watch over and honor in a man or a woman's life is his word. You take that out of the program. You take that out of your your way of living. You set aside the necessity of living on God's terms and choose to do something else and add stuff to your life that God has to judge. The warning is, he said, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? See, the word neglect is a big word because it simply means you set it aside. There's an indifference to it. People neglect church, they neglect reading, they neglect prayer, they neglect a lot of things spiritual because they are convinced it's not that huge a deal. I mean, it's not going to keep me out of heaven after all. I'm not bad enough to go to hell. So you start justifying things you do, and you realize one day after all your justification, you don't even know what you're doing with your life. I mean, what are we in this room? What are we doing with our lives? We're religious people, no doubt, maybe spiritual. But one day is like another day. It doesn't seem like there's a pursuit, a goal, not aiming at something. We're just existing, maybe drifting along, maybe not doing as well as we should or could. I asked myself that question this week. What are you doing with your life? Maybe I'm just getting dealt with more than you all are. I know the day comes and judgment's going to begin at the house of God, and I think before it comes, God's given us a chance to get our house in order. So, I mean, when he starts speaking to us, we need to listen. I mean, we got by with it for a long time. A lot of us have. We got by with a lot of things. We knew better. He that knows to do good and does it not, you know, to him it's sin. Well, you know, I, yeah, but sin, you know, it's, it's not that big a deal. It won't keep me out of heaven. Well, where do we start thinking like this? And so in Bible, you know, the Bible says that one day, as you see here in this book, he's going to begin to judge his people. And when he does, it's not pleasant. It's not that he wants to. I mean, there's a section in, in Lamentations here that said this is not what God finds pleasure in, in judging people. He doesn't just go around dealing with the wicked in a harsh way because that's just what he likes to do. God's not willing that any man should perish, but that all men should come to repentance, to turn around from your ways to his way, to give up what you call your right to do your own thing, to settle that the only right I have is to do what God gives me to do. That's my right, and that's what I want to do. So if we neglect God's word, any of us, we have his just and fair Dealings to deal with. Jesus told the uh, Pharisees, he said, You serpents, you generation of vipers, who has warned you to flee from the wrath to come? How long did he put up with you, all you Pharisees? How many times did you have these feelings and thoughts about things that you neglected and you set them aside? How long did God deal with you and put up with you before he finally says, All right, your judgment is coming. He said, how shall you escape the damnation that comes with sin? Now, in our chapter here, in our text, let's go to verse 1 of Lamentations chapter 3. Because you see, he said, the neglect of his way is the cause of our sins. Well, the national sins, or Jeremiah seems to speak in the first person about his own life, and maybe his life was in darkness because the nation was in darkness. And as the national Israel suffered, uh, the people individually, including the prophets, they suffer also. Let me just get the gist of all of this as we read it, chapter 3, beginning verse 1. He said, I am the man that has seen affliction by the rod of his wrath. He has led me and brought me into darkness, but not into light. Surely against me he has turned. He turneth his hand against me all the day. My flesh and my skin hath he made old, and he hath broken my bones. He hath builded against me and compassed me with gall and travail. He hath set me in dark places as they that be dead of old. 
He hath hedged me about that I cannot get out. He hath made my chain heavy. Also, when I cry and shout, he shutteth out my prayer. He hath enclosed my ways with hewn stone. He hath made my paths crooked. He was unto me as a bear lying in wait and as a lion in secret places. He hath turned aside my ways and pulled me in pieces. He hath made me desolate. He hath bent his bow and he has set me as a mark for the arrow. He has caused the arrows of his quiver to enter into my reins or to my heart. Verse 15, he hath filled me with bitterness, and he hath made me drunken with wormwood. He hath also broken my teeth with gravel stones, for he hath covered me with ashes. And it says in verse 17, and thou hast removed my soul far off from peace. I forget prosperity. And I said, my strength and my hope is perished from the Lord. Remembering mine affliction and my misery, the wormwood and the gall, my soul hath them still in remembrance and is humbled in me. Well, that doesn't sound good, does it? Have you ever felt like to some degree, to some lesser degree like that? I'm not so sure that everybody that doesn't walk through this world doesn't have moments in which you feel like God is against you. Psalm 77, in four or five verses there, he said, Has the Lord forgotten to be gracious? Everything's going wrong in my life. Nothing I'm claiming is working. My prayers don't get above the ceiling. I have no peace. There's no prosperity, or the word means good. Nothing good is going on. And a man can cry out. He said, what have I done? But he says, when I shout, the heaven doesn't listen. I have nobody to shout to. There's no relief. There's no place I can go. There's nothing I can do. Look at verse 11, the word desolate. Desolate means to be astonished. It could mean to be destroyed. So I'm desolate. Have you ever felt desolate? Have you ever felt like everything you thought would happen isn't happening and it wasn't going to happen? What good was it to pray? Did you ever hear a little voice somewhere in your life telling you that this isn't going to work? You're not going to get healed. You're just going to die. You ever heard it? Oh, this is the big one. There's no escape from this. Look around. Think. Look at others. There's no escape. There's no hope. So you go and you've been taught and you press into the very things you've been taught. There are times, it seems, that God isn't interested in you. He is. He really is. But it doesn't seem like he is. It seems like sometimes God isn't here. But he is. It seems like there's times that he doesn't care about your prayer, but he does. That's why the message of faith is so important. You can't measure things by how you feel. You can't measure things by how they seem or what they look like or the forlorn, desolate thoughts in your mind. You can't live as though that's true because God has a greater truth or the truth. But you can't deny the feelings. How many of you, after you got saved, and you for the first week, maybe two weeks of your salvation, they couldn't peel you off the walls? You were just, you were just half aggravating to the whole church. I remember. And then there came a time when God's program for you was that you're climbing the walls and you're excited because you feel good. You feel something. You got this feeling. Now, how will you be when the feeling is withdrawn? Will you still be favorable to me? Will you still say, praise the Lord? Will you raise your hands like an offering to God when you don't feel like it? Will you still surrender your life to walk my way when you feel like you've been dumped? 
Will you still believe what I've told you that I am there, that I will never leave you nor forsake you? Will you believe that or will you cast that word aside? Will you let that word slip because it doesn't seem like it? Will you live by what seems right or will you live by what God says is right? You're going to find out. It's kind of the sifting program of God for every one of his children. Every person that God calls out of darkness to himself. Every individual that God says, I'm going to make you mine, he sifts them all. The Bible said every person that God receives to be his disciple, he chastens them. He corrects them. Yes, he teaches them. But it's the teaching that leads you into the decision, the the valley of decision. What are you going to do with that? Do you really believe God is here? Do you really believe he's going to heal you? Come on, do you really believe that? He said he would. Yeah, I know. But do you really believe that? Doesn't look like it. Probably doesn't feel like it. Doesn't sound like it. You think God's going to get you a better job, an improvement? You prayed about it. You were inspired in a message you heard that just trust God. Do you really think he's going to do it? And about the time you're going to get all inspired to trust God for prayer, everything goes quiet. What are you going to do now? You're going to throw in the towel and say, I don't feel it anymore, therefore it's not? Are you basing the reality of God on how you feel or what you think or what you believe? God is faithful, isn't he? There is nothing that can keep God's faithfulness from being faithful. We benefit from God's faithfulness. He is faithful when you don't feel his faithfulness. He is faithful when you do feel his faithfulness. But there are undeniable moments in all of our lives when we feel desolate and cast off. All of us. Nobody appreciates you. Nobody really cares about you. You're lonely. You're in despair. Nobody calls you. Nobody's thinking about you. And why even bother? Who cares? You ever been there? Maybe for 10 seconds in your life? A lot of people have, some more so than others. Some are easier to get in that dark box than other people are. But that never means, no matter how ugly and dark life can get, it never means that God has let go of you. It means that you have a chance now to stand up and act like everything he's ever taught you is true, whether it looks true, sounds true, or feels true or not. And I'm going to live like the God of now is here. I'm going to take him at his word. That's what a sacrifice of praise is about. How many times do we not praise God because I don't feel I don't want to be a hypocrite. I don't feel I just don't feel anything like this today. I'm not going to be a hypocrite and say, praise the Lord, hallelujah. What about a sacrifice? You know, the Bible says bring sacrifices to the Lord only when you feel good about it. Well, they wouldn't have gotten many. But he said, you offer yourself. We ought to preach on this sometime, Romans 12.1. Offer yourself what? A living sacrifice. What's the next word? And then what? Where's the word acceptable? Isn't it in there? Well, what's acceptable to God? A living sacrifice. It has nothing to do with how you feel. It has nothing to do with your emotions. It has to do with your will. It's a choice you make to give to God what he wants from you, regardless of your circumstances, your situations, or how you feel. You give God yourself, and you give God your best. That's your response to God. Oh, it's easy when the music is flowing and everybody's jumping and the and the keys are hot, and the guitar strings are smoking, it is so easy to, whoo, man, we just, it's easy to do it then, isn't it? Ooh, something in my heart like a stream running free. Oh, yeah. But how do you feel when you got up this morning? There was no hot water. And you screamed for 20 minutes in that shower trying to get yourself... Showered or clean. 
Or maybe you just washed your face and came to church. I don't know. It's your business, not mine. (laughs) Maybe you had a bad week. Maybe you got your tax records back and you're, you're going in the darkness for a month. Or maybe, who knows what, car broke down. Or your husband was bad all week or whatever. And you come to church and here we go. Song leader had a great week. Piano player never had a better week. And all the strings and the drum, boy, everybody up here just (laughs) had a marvelous week. And you had one of the worst weeks of your life. And they're up here, you know, they're ready to go. And you're sitting there. Well, you ain't not getting any sacrifice from me today, Lord. Why? Because I've been desolate all week. I've been down all week. I feel like the fire's gone out in my life. What if it has? What if it did? What if your world fell apart? It ain't never been this bad. It ain't never been this bad. What you just read, it's never been that bad. Not in your life. You're going to drag that carcass in here that God saved and planted in his courts? You're going to drag it in here just so he can be here? Or are you going to enter his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with what? You going to bring that in here? I hope you do because you're adding to what God loves. Or you can bring in here something that can quench the spirit because of your feelings, because of things that have gone wrong. Folks, I'm not making light of bad reports. I'm not making light of situations in people's life that are very serious. I'm not making fun of that. All I'm saying is in light of anything, what does God want from you? In what way can you express to him, I'm trusting you? One of the easiest things you can do is worship. Amen. Let us... Search and try our ways and turn again to the Lord. Isn't that pretty? Why would a man say that? Why would a person come up with that? Well, we'll get to that in just a minute. Look at verse 15. What we've been describing as desolate also applies in verse 15 as one who is bitterness. Oh, bitterness. Bitter sorrows. How many of us, if we do it, when things are kind of in darkness or things are going to slow down, you look back in your life, maybe your recent life, and you see some of the mistakes you just made, some things you said, something you watched, a conversation you were involved in, the thoughts you had about somebody, clean or unclean. And you come to church and you're reminded, the Spirit of God reminds you of things in your life. And you can't go back and undo that. You can't stop time and put the rewind button and go back and not do it and so it doesn't exist anymore. It does exist. You did it. And when you've made some decisions, some bad decisions in your life, you feel more bitter about yourself than anybody else. It wasn't God's fault that we sinned. It wasn't God's fault that we failed or We had unclean thoughts. It wasn't God's fault. It's our fault. Which is the reason for verse 17 that we have no peace. We have no peace. But when it comes to Christians and and our difficulties and our darkness and our captivities and our fights and our warfares and the enemy coming in like a flood, all these things that we're told about, we're fighting against these principalities and and powers and, and we engage this enemy our whole life and sometimes it looks like he's winning. Somebody once said, you know, life is like a rat race and the rats are winning. And we tend to think like that. Some people I know have been Christians for many, many years and are just now beginning to realize what I'm saying. I don't care what my circumstances in life are or what situations look like in my life. I know in whom I have believed, and I am persuaded that he is able, able what to do exceeding abundantly above all that I ask or think. Whether it hadn't improved yet, in fact, you're getting so bad, it's getting so worse, and the money's gone, and your health is... I don't care. 
I don't care. I can do nothing about that of myself. There is nothing human I can do about any of that. But the one thing I can do in my infirmity, in my inabilities and my weaknesses, I can bring all my care to God. I can cast the whole of my feelings and my worries and my anxieties. I can lay that before God and walk away from it and leave it with Him. For greater is He that is in me than He that is in the world. And while life sometimes has its disgusting moments and all your dreams seem to melt, and just fall apart. One thing that never changes is the Word of God. It never falls apart. It never melts. It is the same like God. It is the same today and yesterday and tomorrow. The words of God are emblazoned in heaven. They are forever settled there. They will never change. There's not a time in your life or my life that God does not watch over his word that he's put into your heart to perform it. It may not seem like it, but he's there. He is absolutely there. In verse 8, how bad is verse 8? He said, also, when I cry and shout, he shutteth out my prayer. Or verse 44. Thou hast covered thyself with the cloud that our prayer would not pass through. Listen to me, all of you. Now be honest. Don't talk out and don't make a lot of noise, but just think. Have you ever felt like your prayers are not being heard? Have you ever felt like that God isn't interested in what you pray? You ever been there once? Have you ever got down to pray and you... It seemed like the only person in the world listening to your prayer is you. And you're having a hard time getting it out or keep concentrating on it because you, Lord, uh, in the name of Jesus, I, uh, oh, come on. Uh, oh, Lord. Uh, have you ever been there? And how easy was it when the check came in the mail? You got this or you got that or a healing came and deliverance came. The child's quit crying and, wow, they're better and they're all right now. They're getting spankings again. And you felt yourself, Father, in the name of Jesus, I just want to give you the... Oh, you're a different person, aren't you? What if you were that same joyful person when nothing's looking good? Jeremiah looks at this nation. They're being carried away captive. They're king. Zedekiah, it's his fault. But Nebuchadnezzar comes down and puts his eyes out and carries him away captive. The king, like a blind man, is, can never see again. Killed all of his children in front of him before he made him blind so he could see that. You talk about Jeremiah watching all of this. People trying to flee to Egypt to get out of the country. He warned them in chapter 42, don't go to Egypt. Because Egypt is a type of the world. There's no hope there. And everything is falling apart, and there is absolutely nothing you can do about it because the invading army is greater than anything you've got to stop them except the promises of God. That's all you've got. You can hold them in your lap, and you can cry about it. But while you feel like crying, you can just smile and say, God is faithful. God will never leave me nor forsake me. He has called me to walk in his paths. He has given me enough light that I am now accountable for the way I'm walking because he's shown me his way. We sing the song, Teach me thy ways, O Lord, that I may walk in thy paths. Unite my heart to fear your name. And that's what we sing. And that's supposed to be applicable all the time. I know how it feels like you do when I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. 
I'm not sure what the right thing is to do. There's a lot of things you could do, but there's only one thing that's right. That's where wisdom comes in. Sometimes you have to wait on it. And the devil says, oh, you can't wait. You've got to do something right now, right now, right now, right now. He said, no, I'm not going to do anything until I know what to do. Because when I know what to do, it'll, it'll be right. And God will honor it. But in the meantime, I'm going to praise the Lord. I may not get them up any higher than that, but I'm going to get them up that high. They may not be flapping, but I'm going to get them up this high. Because I know I've been taught that this pleases God and this is what he wants. I don't want to go into captivity. I don't want the devil to dominate me or my family or anything I have. I don't want any part of him in my life. And yet there's times when he comes along, he comes by to do what he does. And you have to resist him. Because if you don't, he doesn't flee. He stays. He becomes a guest. He gets to do what he does until you practice what you've been taught. Resist the devil and he'll flee from him. I've been doing that for a month. I've been telling the devil to leave for a month. Well, maybe you ought to believe it once and then let go. Just simply say to God, I release to you my faith in what you have said. That by the stripes of Jesus, I was healed. Not going to be. Not could be, but it was. W-A-S, A-M, past tense. Am and was. Therefore, I cast all of my concern about this over on you and leave all the results to you. And I'm counting on you to have your way in this situation. Praise the Lord. And sometimes that's all you can do. I think the Bible says, having done all, Stand, doesn't it say that? It does in Ephesians 6, having done all. You've got to do what you've got to do. That's what you've been taught. That's why we're here this morning. Show you what to do. Do what you do, and having done all, what do you do? You stand. You don't run. You don't lay down. You don't turn your back to the devil. You don't back up. You stand. You stand. That this is how we live. We're Christians. We're not just members of a church somewhere. We're Christians. We have committed ourselves when we were born again to live a different way. Teach me that way. And when we teach us that way, it's not easy, but it's the only way it's right. So this is the way we're supposed to live. Now, what's the solution to this? Well, look at verse 21. He said in the middle of all of this, verse 21 this I recall to my mind, therefore I have hope. Barnes said in his uh, commentary about the word recall, when he said, this I recall to my mind, he said, this will I bring back to my heart. Now think of this. If Mr. Barnes's translation is accurate or his commentary is true, he said, in essence, I will bring my heart back to. Now, what does that mean? That he had been somewhere before? Bear with me. Jeremiah was in a situation that was not good at all. Nothing. But while he was there, here comes the ministry of the Holy Spirit. God doesn't leave you in despair when you're his. He doesn't prevent despair in your life, but he doesn't leave you there. And while you're about the last leg of your joy and you're about ready to quit and throw in the towel, here comes in your mind these thoughts. Like in verse 21, this I recall to my mind. My heart goes back to where I once was when everything was flowing, when the light of God was shining on his people. And he made us glad. And it was wonderful in those days of revelation and those times of joy. See, the word recall means to go back, to do good. That's what we have to do sometimes. Let everything slow down. Whoa, 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 stop. Put your finger right there and go back three books to the book of Psalms. Psalm 77. 
Psalm 77. He said in verse 7, in his despair, in the human experience of grief, sadness, sorrow, and desolation, he said, verse 7, Will the Lord cast off forever? Will he be favorable no more? Is his mercy clean, gone forever? As I've said before, that's Kentucky right there. Has his mercy clean, gone forever? Does his promise fail? Didn't the devil tell you it probably wouldn't work? Didn't the devil tell you that, yeah, God said that, but who does it work for? Didn't he say that? Doesn't he tell you this? He tries to. Does his promise fail forever? Verse 9, has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he in anger shut up his tender mercies? And I said, this is my anguish. But then what did he say? But I will what? I will remember the years of the Most High. For What did he remember? He remembered what he had once had, didn't he? In the teaching, don't you hide these words in your heart? And sometimes the very thing that we hid in our heart is the solution to what we're going through, but there's so much darkness it doesn't come up. That's when the Holy Spirit comes around. And the Holy Spirit comes and he said, What have I taught you? Didn't I tell you once? And then he starts reminding us of things. Think of 1 Samuel 30 when David was at Ziklag, the city that the Philistines gave him. They went out to fight, and they came back. Everything was gone. And the people, the men with David, his group, were so upset with David, they wanted to stone him. And the Bible said David strengthened himself in the Lord. Now, notice, he came back to a smoldering ruin. All these things that God promised that were so good, they were here when you left and you went off and, and you did this, you came back, everything is gone. You don't see a dead body around, so your wives and your children must still be alive. But it's desolation. It's burned, and now your friends who are with you, they want to stone you. It's your fault. That's what we learned. We didn't say it last week, but that's one of the things you learn in the fall of Eve is to learn to pass the buck and blame somebody else because everybody's a victim now. Wasn't my fault. It was his fault, her fault. Wasn't, wasn't my fault. It was the devil's fault. And David, the Bible said, David strengthened himself in the Lord. One of the silent keys in the Bible to walking in victory in this life when all the turmoil of this life seems to have its arrows aimed at you, is to strengthen yourself in the Lord. You can't do that if you haven't been given something that's strong in your past. But if you've been taught, you've listened, you've been walking with the Lord for a while, I can promise you that the words you've heard are in there. Those are the words that God is going to use to bring to your memory and say, you know what your problem is? You have forgotten. You've let these words slip. The very salvation that was designed to make you the head and not the tail, above and not beneath, blessed going out and blessed coming in, it's all a part of salvation. You've neglected it. And now the devil's come into your life and you're acting like the world acts. Let me bring to your remembrance the days of old. Let me bring to your remembrance the time you slung that sling, David, and you put a rock in the middle of a head of a man three or four times your size, and one little stone won a battle. Remember that? Yeah. Those were the days, you know, they're memories. They're your Ebenezer stones in your life. It's God turning your head around to look back at all the good times in your life that he was doing things in your life. And when the devil comes in, 
God doesn't prevent it. It was the Spirit of God that led Jesus to the wilderness to be tempted. When the devil comes in, the very weapon you have against him is a word that you've hidden in your heart. Unless you let it slip. Unless your word gave way to your feelings and your thoughts and your emotions. I'm talking about being strong in the Lord and the power of his might, and that's his word. Go back to Lamentations 3. In verse 21, he said, I recall to my mind. I'm going back to what I've known. I'm understanding something I haven't understood before. God hasn't forsaken me. Look at verse 27. It is good for a man that he bear the yoke in his youth. He sitteth alone and keepeth silence because he hath borne it upon him. He putteth his mouth in the dust, if so be there may be hope. He giveth his cheek to him that smiteth him, and he is full of reproach. For the Lord, listen, verse 31, for the Lord will not what? Let's read that. I don't know what translation you have, but read it. If it's Spanish, read that. Let's read verse 31. Now, for the Lord will not cast off forever. Will he cast off? It certainly seems like it, doesn't it? Especially your sins. He had a right to neglect you and leave you alone and let you be in your sins. And sometimes it looks like that. But here in the middle of all of this woe and this tragedy in this country, for the Lord will not cast off forever, but though he cause grief, yet will he have compassion according to the multitude of his mercies. For he does not afflict willingly nor grieve the children of men. It's not what he does. To crush under his feet all the prisoners of the earth. To turn aside the right of a man before the face of the Most High. To subvert a man in his cause. The Lord approveth not. This is not what the Lord does. God is warning his people. And sometimes the Holy Spirit, in the midst of you, deserve this. He comes to remind you that your problem is solvable. The solution to your problem is what I taught you. Here's what you got to do. you got to search and examine yourself. Let us search and try our ways and turn again to the Lord. Doesn't your Bible say that? Sure it does. The Lord is not going to cast off forever. He may hide his face from you for a season. He may neglect you. He may bless you so much and stir you up so much spiritually that you're a giant in the faith. And then one day, while people are watching you, they know you're blessed. And as they watch you, everything goes kaput. Now, others that are watching you may give up the faith if you do, because if it didn't work for him... How's it going to work for me? So realizing that you're a target now and you're on display, but check your heart. If you love the Lord more than you love yourself, you'll give the Lord what he wanted. He's already told you what he wants. If you love the Lord more than your feelings, if you count on him more than you're counting on your abilities, you'll give the Lord what he wants. And people will see and be encouraged by you. Your testimony will strengthen other people. They know you're going through some hard times. I know some of you are going through some hard times. I've known people for 30-plus years on occasion that went through some hard times. I've had a 1,000 questions I couldn't answer. I don't know. I don't know because the question is a three-letter word, why? I don't know. If I were God, you wouldn't ask me why because I'd, I'd get it done with. And yet God knows things I don't know. I don't know. Verse 32. Now that I've got the introduction here, let me preach my sermon now. Verse 32. 
He says that he will have compassion according to what? The multitude of his mercies. Now think of those two words this morning, compassion and mercy. In verse 22, it is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed. In other words, all that we read in the first 20 verses of Lamentations 3 did not consume these people. They were on the verge, no doubt, or Jeremiah. What kept them and him from being consumed? The mercies of the Lord. I will sing of the mercies of the Lord forever. I will sing. Do you know what mercy is? Do you know what mercy means? Several times it's translated loving kindness. Thy loving kindness is better than life. Psalm 103, you know, he talks about uh, heals all of our diseases, crowns us with loving kindness. It's a big deal. The biggest deal is probably grace. Grace is favor sent by God. Mercy is a dispensing of that grace. It's mercy that makes it what it is. When goodness and mercy follow you all the days of your life, you have relief following you all the days of your life. There is never a moment, a time, or circumstance, or situation that can overwhelm you when mercy is present. You can be in these situations, but they can't own you. They can't conquer you because of mercy. The mercy of God is there. Take the word compassions. What an interesting word. It's one word that has a picture that has several paragraphs to define it. How's that? The Hebrew dictionary, the word compassion means a womb. It means a womb. That's where human life starts. That's where it issues forth into the world, from the womb. I ask myself, in what way then can I relate compassion to a womb? Well, a womb in a mother, a woman, is probably the most sacred place in her whole body as comes to life and bearing life and so forth because it's the place that God puts a human being. She bears the growth of this child, brings her much discomfort, doesn't give her a lot of relief, especially towards the end of the term when the baby's about to be delivered. But one thing you can count on when that baby does come forth out of her with whatever amount of agony or pain that it comes out with, she is bonded to that child. Nobody will ever care for her child like she will, if she's normal. The Bible speaks in the last days of unnatural affections, which has to do with not having what I'm talking about. But a mother gives birth to a child, and immediately she will die for that child. She'll get up in the middle of the night with a bad headache, feeling bad. There's nothing that can keep her from ministering or helping or assisting or bringing comfort to that child, whatever she can do, because she's bonded. There's an attraction and affection between this child and the mother. I'll tell you something. Nobody will ever love you like your mother. A man can love his wife an awful lot, but I doubt he'll ever love his children the way his wife loves her children. There's nothing she won't do for the well-being of her child. If you try to hurt her child, you've got her to deal with, and she's as bad as a bear. If she's only one piece of something left to eat, she'll give that to her child because that's how she cares. She has compassion. And I looked at that word compassion, I saw the womb, I thought, I see what that means. There's no greater tenderness and no greater care that can be known to a mortal man than the God's compassion for his people. That's how he feels in a greater sense about us. He has compassion. He turned to the multitudes that were sick and lame and halt and destitute and down and out. And the Bible says he turned and he had compassion on them and he healed all of them. 
There wasn't a sick, impaired one in the whole crowd. That's what his compassion did. As though they were his children, he wanted to relieve them, and he did. Well, he said, in, like in verse 32 there, yet will he have compassion according to the multitude of his mercies. Do you believe that God is committed to you? Do you believe he's committed to you? Do you believe when God said in Hebrews 13, 5, I will never leave you or forsake you, that he will ever leave you or forsake you? At what moment in the darkness of your night was God not there? What sin did you commit that he cannot deliver you from? There isn't any. There is nothing. You can feel like you're left out because you've crossed the line. You went too far. You know, you went too far. It's all over. No, it's not. No, it's not. God is still on his throne. He said he will never leave me nor forsake me. Peter wrote, he said, We are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time, though now for a season, if need be, you are in heaviness through many kinds of trials. First Peter 3. Think of it. In the same book of First Peter chapter 4, he says, Count it all joy when you fall into divers' ugliness. Knowing this, it's like bringing back to your attention what you've been taught that should supersede your feelings and your circumstances. Trust God. He brings it back. But we're going to have to manage ourselves. Folks, let me tell you something. Christians basically, in my view, Christians are basically weak. They look for the easy way. They want the easy way. They give up quick, and they cry about anything. And every now and then, You'll find that person just won't quit. The Syrophoenician woman. Lord, have mercy on my daughter. Jesus said it's not right to take children's bread and give it to dogs. And she turned and she said, what am I going to do with that? If the God of heaven don't want to help me, I might as well turn and go home. I'm done. He just referred to me as a dog. That's it. Come on, daughter. You're going to stay in this Situation rest of your life. You know what she did? You know what she did, don't you? She squared herself away there, bowed her head and said, It's true that your children's bread is for your people. But, you know, the dogs eat crumbs. And they don't even like everything you're feeding them. And so a lot of it falls out of their mouth on the floor and the dogs eat it. Well, as a dog, give me a crumb. Jesus said, Go your way, your daughter's healed. Folks, there's hope. For anybody in this room, I don't care how forlorn you are, how far you've cast yourself off. What your evaluation of yourself is, I'm not good enough and I can't and what good. I don't care how bad it is. God has never forsaken you. He has forsaken people. He hasn't forsaken you. You're his. You belong to him. And he said he would never leave you nor forsake you. Even though you walk through trials and valleys... Because he's merciful. Merciful is is just simply a way of talking about his steadfast love for you. Who can love you more than God? Who can love her child more than a mother? Who? Could her sister love her sister's child more than? No. Could her grandmother love? Nope. Could one of her children? Nope. Nobody loves you like your mother. Except God. God loves you with an everlasting love, not willing that any should perish, though for a time it may seem like you're going to perish. He will never let you go. He will never leave you alone. His mercy is his steadfast love being shed abroad by the Lord to deliver us from all the things that will destroy us. As the world begins to get worse, and it's getting worse now, 
If you can read a newspaper, you know how bad it is every day. And how bad it is every day is that there's no hope. I think the world's crossed the line. It can't go back. I think what God is saying is not to pray for the world that it'll get turned around, but to pray for the church before the time of judgment. God has tolerated people like us, me and you, for a long time with our casual expressions of religion. And I think now we're coming to the place where you're going to get serious. We're going to have to live this life. Because when things begin falling apart in this world, I don't know if we'll be here when the Antichrist comes or not. I'd like to think I'm going to catch a hat and go on first load. Or I'm going to be caught up to get out of here. But if we were here, and a time like we've never known before comes on this earth, what would happen to us? I can tell you what will happen. God will not allow you to be hammered any more than your ability to withstand hammers. But with all the hammering that's going to come on this earth, he is faithful. He will keep you from being overdone. It will please God to drag you off of this earth. It will please God for you to stand before him and for him to say to you, Well done, a good and faithful servant. God is so good, greater and more wonderful than we've ever given him credit for. Now, in closing, I'd like for you to turn your Bibles to Psalms 89 and verse 30. Remember this, mercy is the application of grace. Can you say that? Mercy is the application of grace. And what is grace? Grace is favor. Who gets grace? You. Not everybody. You do. God is not the God of everybody in this world. He told the Pharisees, he said, you are of your father, the devil. But to his people, weak, <coughs> infirm as we sometimes and seem to be, he's still our father. Isn't he? And he's never going to leave you nor forsake you. When you walk out that door, he walks with you. When you get in your car, he goes with you. When you go to work, he goes with you. When you talk in a conversation, he's listening. Everything we do, he's there. He'll never leave us alone. Anything that he has to judge in your life, he will chasten you and get that corrected so he won't have to judge you to keep you from being condemned with the rest of the world. The world's condemned. Now, in Psalm 89, Psalm 89 and verse 30. If his children forsake my law and walk not in my judgments, if they break my statutes and keep not my commandments, then I will visit their transgression with the rod and their iniquity with stripes. Nevertheless. You see that word, nevertheless? Boy, I don't like verse 32. I will visit their transgressions with the rod. He said, and their iniquity with stripes. Nevertheless, those of you that are here as well as those of you that aren't here, those of you that are watching, listen to this. Nevertheless, my loving kindness, my mercy, will I not utterly take from him nor suffer my faithfulness to fail. My covenant will I not break nor alter the thing that is gone out of my mouth. How many of you know the word will never be changed? And if you heard it 40 years ago, what you heard then will work today because it's the word of God. Folks, cheer up. I don't care what you're thinking of. Cheer up. God is bigger than all of our problems forever. Amen. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray that you will bless your word to the hearts of your people. Not my word, but yours. You will, as the psalmist said, teach us your way so that we can walk in your steps. I ask you to bless the people that are sitting here this morning.
There's not a soul in this room, Lord, that doesn't have a need. We are an assembly of needy people. We truly do have needs, and if we're needy, then we're poor. We're poor in spirit. We need more of that. And we pray this morning in Jesus' name that all of our specific needs, you'll minister to them, whether they be physical in our bodies, financial, domestic in our home with our families, civil in the world out there where we work, whatever our need is, whatever our needs are, I ask you to meet them in Jesus' name. And may our testimony as we leave here and go back into the world, to our homes and our business, as we leave this room, may our testimony be such that people will ask us a reason of the hope that we have. And may we be able to skillfully, by the anointing of your spirit, share with them what you have done for us and why we believe. I ask you to do that in Jesus' name. Amen.